We're going to be in Mark. We're going to cover a big chunk of text today. I'm really excited because I love it when we get to these, these portions of, of Scripture, and it's a lot of Bible, but Jesus is teaching kind of, it, he does this where he will say something, and then he'll kind of say another something, and then he'll sandwich it with another teaching, but really it all goes together. So this is a big chunk of text today. We'll break it up into three parts, but we're continuing kind of last week. Do you guys remember last week when we're talking about what it is to partner with Jesus? The triumphal entry is they wanted to partner with Jesus's rule. Jesus is here. We're finally going to win. The Romans are finally going to pay. We're going to get what is due to us. No more oppression. No more beating us up. The laws are going to change. The rules are going to change. We're going to be this nation, one nation under God. We're going to be great. We're going to rule them. They got Jesus' rule right, but they missed Jesus' role. Because Jesus came and he didn't just, uh, not, not only did he not overthrow the Roman government, he died on the cross on behalf of those oppressors. He cleansed his own church. He cried over the condition of his people. So we were reminded we must partner with Jesus' whole plan, his rule and his role. For he came to seek and save the lost. He is king. He let himself be worshipped as king, but as a king, he, get, he sends us out as royal representatives into the world that others would know. He's not an oppressive ruler, but he is one of love and forgiveness and grace. Whew. That wasn't even in my notes. Let's go. <laughs> but then we're going to continue. So in that vein... Continuing that thought, on the next day of the week, that was Sunday triumphal entry. Monday, Jesus rolls into Jerusalem, cleanses the temple, uh, curses the fig tree on the way by. We're going to look at Tuesday morning, the final week of Jesus' life. So we're in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 20. Starting in verse 20, it says this, As they passed by in the morning, they saw that fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Remember we talked about that? And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive it. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let's stop there for a second. Title of the message today is, did I even write it down? 
I had like nine. A glimpse into my world. I'm like, what do I call this? I'm going to call this how to let grudges go. I'm going to call today how to let grudges go. Could anybody use any helpful advice on how to let some grudges go? Amen. Me too. We were talking last week, entering into partnership with Jesus. Last week we talked about by giving to the cause, giving the donkey, getting involved. Could Jesus call you a partner? Getting involved and then partnering with his whole plan. We're going to see today one of the ways that we can partner with Jesus is by letting grudges go. Let's start out by, let me tell you something that Jesus knows, and let me tell you something that the devil knows. It's the same truth. Grudges cause doubt, and grudges cut you off at the roots. Do you see what Jesus was saying about this fig tree? Look, he cursed the fig tree and said, may no one ever eat from you again. Why? Because they had the look the look of fruit, like there was supposed to be some fruit, but nothing was happening. This was a representation of the nation of Israel. It also was a representation of the life that Jesus expects to have fruit on it and not to have any fruit on it. Grudges cut us off at the roots. Grudges that we have towards someone or something, they cloud our judgment and they cause confusion and we can't see clearly. With this illustration of the tree, you can put it like this. It chokes your growth. It cuts you off at the roots and, affect, and eventually will affect the whole tree. It says that the tree was withered to its roots. Before we get into this next little passage, I want to sum all this up and do a thought for us. Maybe you jot this down or think about this. Judges... Grudges against people will eventually turn into grudges against God. The grudges that we hold against people can eventually turn into grudges against God. We're going to come back to those verses because we want to look at Jesus' whole teaching, and then we're going to come back to those first four. Let's look at this next section, starting in verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, so they're walking into the city, on their way to the temple, they passed by this tree that Jesus cursed the day before that they saw today was dead, withered to its roots. And now it says, and they came again to Jerusalem, verse 27. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus comes into the temple. It's not the common people, but this, did you see, it's the chief priests, the scribes. The scribes are the experts in the, the written word of God. They are the scholars, the Bible teachers. The, the Pharisees are the religious rulers, whether it be, it's, it's hard to draw a direct parallel comparison if you're like, they were like the pastors, but it was different. Because it wasn't, they represented God on behalf of people, but they also led kind of the culture and community 
was more um, like all-inclusive as far as like culture, uh, politics, religion, all of that stuff. They were like the, the people that everyone looked to to lead them, the examples. And they're the ones that always went toe-to-toe with Jesus and always missed the point. That's why we draw the conclusions like sometimes we as the church, the representatives, we're the ones that miss the point, so we really need to pay attention to the things that Jesus is teaching. So they come up to him, and they said to him, Who give, what gives you the right? Under whose authority are you that you're doing all this stuff? And Jesus answered them, and he goes, let me ask you a question. This is what he says. He says, I will ask you one question, so answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, remember John the Baptist? Well, they had, he was imprisoned, he was, he was beheaded, but these people did not like John the Baptist because he called them a brood of snakes. He said that you guys have this look of religion, but your religion is useless. He said that they were taking advantage of people. He called them out for their hypocrisy and they did not like that because John was hardcore so hardcore it got him killed eventually so Jesus says to them was the baptism of John from heaven or from man where did this come from verse 31 Jesus or verse 30 was the baptism of John for hev- from heaven or from man answer me and they discussed with one another so they were like, pause, and they go over and they huddle. And they're like, okay, what's up there? It's like the family feud where they huddle. <laughs> and they say, we're going to go with, I don't know, Steve. <laughs> and he turns around and he says, I don't know. <clears throat> and it's not on the board because they said, it says right here, they discuss with one another, and here's what they said. Ooh, if we say John's baptism that he was sent from heaven, he was a godly man, then Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? Because they didn't believe him. And then, but if we say, well, he was from man, that's not going to work either because all the people loved John. They held John really as a prophet. They were kind of in a loop. They went to trap Jesus, and they find themselves being like, ooh, ooh. So they come back, and they're like, We don't know. And then Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Grudges against people. John the Baptist. We don't like him. We don't like the message that he stands for. It causes us to have to look at what's going on in our own lives. Is he right or are we right? These things that he's pointing out are these things that we need to take into consideration and think about and repent of and maybe think about going a different direction? Or do we say, the heck with this guy. He doesn't know what's up. We keep doing our own thing. And eventually, the grudge they had against John the Baptist turns into a grudge against Jesus himself. The opportunities were there. But now we find they find themselves hard-hearted towards people and eventually it becomes hard-heartedness toward God. It's important because a lot of the conversations I have with people 
around things of faith say some pretty hard-hearted things toward God. And I don't think that they believe it, number one. But I think it's a product over years of hard-heartedness towards people that have hurt them. And when we hold, speaking of grudges, when we hold grudges against people who were supposed to represent God, eventually those grudges turn into things that if you listen, people hold them toward God himself. They're sneaky, but you hear them along the lines of, I could never serve a God who, and then you, it's, they'll say something totally untrue about God, who, um, you know, plays favorites with people. I could never serve a, a God who, um, you know, would, would hate someone, who would hate someone, who would choose someone to go to hell. Like people will say these things and you're like, ooh, that came from somewhere. And oftentimes if you trace it back far enough, it's a grudge that someone has held on to for so long that it has changed the way they even look at Jesus himself. When Jesus says, let me ask you a question, this is really cool because he wasn't being a, what's the right word, a smart aleck. He was um, using a common uh, debating technique of the day. You ask questions back and forth. But it made his answer depend on the answer that they gave to him. It focused the issue. One commentator says this, the leader's conclusion about John would reveal their conclusion about Jesus. I think about that. Because I know that we are called, you guys know me, our church, we love seeing people get to know Jesus, not just know more about him. When you see someone be like, this is my friend, this is my king, this is my king who is also my friend, Jesus, you should meet him. And when people come into contact with the living God and they're like, this is not what I heard about or grew up thinking. And these, this stuff starts happening where it's like people actually are getting to know Jesus and his heart for them and his heart for the world. That's what we love to see. One of the biggest uh, things that we have to navigate is a lot of times people don't want anything to do with Jesus because of the conclusions they've reached about the church. But you know what? That's not a time for us to throw our hands in the air and say, well, forget y'all then. That's the time to really do the hard work of seeking God and being like, well, how do we navigate this? It's not to cut, for God didn't come to the world to judge or condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. So there's a way to navigate these days we're in. Amen? And oftentimes it's getting to the heart of the issue. Their conclusion about Jesus came from their conclusion about John. Which makes me think of this. When I think about the hardships of life or trying to figure out um, how, where we're at with Jesus, where we're at with our relationship to God, um, with grudges, maybe think about this or jot this down. The way you're going, this is deep, are you ready? The way you're going is the way you will go. Tweet that. 
the way you're currently going is the way you will continue to go. This speaks of the power of your environment. Anyone ever had any unhealthy friendships? Unhealthy relationships. You find not the good part of you coming out, but the part that you don't like so much jumping behind the wheel and that part of you driving, the part that takes you into the dark places of your life where you know that there's no health for you there, there's no future for you. That's where the Bible says, ponder the path of your feet. It's like before you physically walk that road, let your brain run down that road for a little ways and see where you end up. Do you like where you end up? No, I don't like where I end up. Then maybe don't take that first step down that road. Ponder the path of your feet. But the power of environment says what our mothers told us that we found, found out later came from the Bible. I'm like, how would she know that? Where it says, bad company corrupts good morals. You hear that? And it's like, you're, like uh, people's way of saying, like, don't hang out with people that are going to drag you down. There's some great truth to that. But I have found a lot of times people don't necessarily know, they don't, they're not standing on their own two feet when it comes to issues of, God, they're standing on someone else's, what someone else said. I could never do this because of this thing that happened. And someone's like, yeah, I'm with you. The power of our environment is so important, which causes us to look at our surroundings. I wonder if one of those Pharisees or rulers or scribes was standing in that circle going, you know, we're looking for a way out of this, but it seems like Jesus is like looking for a way in. Maybe we need to rethink this. It doesn't say that. You just have to wonder if someone in there was just saying, you know, I wonder if there's a different way forward. So look at our surroundings. And then Jesus takes it one step further. He see, we see that they had a grudge against John. They eventually they have a grudge against Jesus. And then Jesus, he doesn't leave it there. He actually takes this whole thing one step further, and he tells them a story. Story time with Jesus. And it happens starting in chapter 12. So same conversation. And then it says, and he began to speak to them in parables. You guys know parables? Parables are these cool stories that Jesus will tell that make sense to some people, don't make sense to other people, but he was doing it on purpose. But there's, there's a point, there's a meaning. People are going to catch the gist of what he's talking about. So he, he tells them a story. So he says, who is John? Is John from, from, from heaven or from man? And they're like, we don't know. And he's like, hmm, well, then, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. But let me tell you a story. A man planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press, and he built a tower, and he leased it to tenants, tenants, tenants to work it, and he went to another country. Verse 2, and when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent to them another servant, 
And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so, with many others, some they beat and some they killed. Became a pattern. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will surely respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, because of their grudges against people, had eventually turned into this. Here's their reasoning. Hey, here's the heir. I got an idea. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. If we get rid of him, that'll be the last one he sends, and this vineyard that he owned will squat this land until he gives up, and then it'll be ours. We'll rule this place. It'll be what we say go around here. And they took him, the son, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Verse 9, Jesus telling the story. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Actually, if you look in Luke's gospel, it says the same thing, and there's, there's a little bit more uh, embellishment on the answer, but what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Verse 10, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 12. After all of this, verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived, actually in Luke it says, they knew that he had told this parable against them, and that they are the vine dressers. So they left him and went away. It's crazy to see patterns develop in someone else's life. You know when you watch patterns, someone go down a destructive path, someone that you love, some of you are like, yes. And I look out and I see so many stories of redemption and renewal and things that God is doing, but we often have, a lot of us have ended up in a place of destruction. And the people who loved us that watched us get to this place, they could stand back and be like, I told you. I told you. But they can also be in this place where they, they knew it was going to happen, but they're with us in the, in the dark spots. They had perceived that they told this parable against them, so they left him and went away. Let me break this parable down for you guys because it's really cool and it's deep and beautiful. I think the application jumps off the page. We'll talk about it a little bit. But there's a deeper thing going on here. Just so you guys are know and I do a good job teaching you the Bible. Israel is a nation and is a people, a Jewish people, often throughout the Old Testament are referred to as God's vineyard. So God, these are God's special people, something that he would bring forth something from. Vineyard brings forth wine. There's a process. But it speaks of, it's, this is a, an illustration of God's people. Um, 
the landlord, the owner of the vineyard, it's God's relationship to Israel. Then he leased it to tenant farmers, vine growers or vine dressers. But this is representing Israel's religious leaders, which would eventually become the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that are missing the point with Jesus. But there's people that are going to lead a nation. These are leaders, and this is what he's talking about. And so he sent three servants, it says, agents representing God's servants to Israel. Who did God send in the Old Testament to represent, to give words to the people? We sent prophets. He sent uh, Moses. You know, I mean, there's many. You can look at the Old Testament. If, if you need to know a name of a prophet, just look at one of the titles of an Old Testament book, and you got like a 50-50 chance of hitting a prophet's name. You're like, first and second kings. No, that's probably not a prophet's name. Jonah. Bingo. These are people that God sent to speak words and the nation rejected him. So he said, I will send my son. And God sends Jesus himself and comes. And what happens to Jesus? Well, this is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. In three days, he was going to hang on a cross and say, it is finished. Everything that I said was going to happen, happened. They missed the point. They would get it later when Jesus rose from the dead. And that the church would be born. We'd be given the message of repentance. We would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do what we're doing. Jesus was doing something on a whole other level, but they missed it. Grudges against people eventually turn into grudges against God. The rejection of the prophets, eventually they rejected God themselves. And it says they knew when they heard this parable, they knew Jesus was telling the story against, the story against them. I don't want to end up in that place. I don't want to see people who want to serve God with their life. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes and these religious leaders, they weren't like meeting in secret before the day began and being like, <laughs> I got a plan to make everyone we talk to today miss out on the reality of who God is in the world. Who's with me? And everyone's like, me, me, me. I actually think they thought they were trying to help people become better, but they were missing the point. Somebody tell me what we, the, the title of last week's message. Yell it out. Don't miss the point. We don't want to miss the point. So we want to partner with God. We want to partner with him by getting involved in the work of God. We want to partner with God by this. We want to let our grudges go. How do you do that? All that stuff I said so far is just to get us to this point where it's like, well, how do you do that? Can we acknowledge that, the heart, that it is no easy thing to let go of hurt? It is no easy thing to let grudges go. There is no easy way to change your own heart towards someone or something. I was thinking about this. I'm like, gosh, there's, you got to be careful teaching something like this because there's two things that tend to happen. 
Number one, what the Pharisees and the scribes would have taught people to do. The religious act that you could do to let grudges go. Oh, you got to do this. You got to give more. You got to, you got to, um, stand in the middle of crowds and, 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 and bless forgiveness on people, but on the inside there's going to be still so much hurt and so much turmoil because you guys know what hurt and pain and confusion does to the inside of you. The outside can look great. Look like, you're, look like a, an Instagram page, but on the inside you're all torn up because of the hurt and the pain and that stuff doesn't come out oftentimes until it's too late and then we read about another tragedy and people are like, we never saw that coming because there was stuff going on on the inside of someone that no one ever knew. That's what we want to focus on. How do you let grudges go? We, instead of focusing on things to do, we must instead focus on what Jesus did and what he taught us to do. We're going to spend the the rest of our morning on this. This is important. Can we go back up to those very first verses? The lesson from the fig tree when Jesus said this. Jesus answered them. Now, uh, what did did Peter say to him? They passed by. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, representing a nation, representing the, the full hardness of a heart of a people towards God. And Peter remembered, and he said to them, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus answered them. And he said some stuff that had nothing to do with the fig tree, which I thought was crazy. He was like, yeah, here's why I did that, and here's what that means. Jesus said this. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Look, Jesus, that that fig tree that you did this thing. And like yesterday it had leaves, and look at it. It's dead and shriveled. It looks, it's crazy looking. And he, and then Jesus says, have faith in God. It, it's so like, what does that have to do with a withered fig tree? Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for for him. Verse 24, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, do you notice that? Whenever you stand praying, comma, forgive, comma, if you have anything against anyone, so that your father also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. There is a, there's gold in these verses for us. As I look and I see the turmoil in our world, I see the crazy polarization on different things, I see hard hearts towards God himself, and I, I don't believe that it's someone, it's on their own. There are things that have come into place, into play, trauma, hurt, grief over the years, and someone has ended up in a place, but it's not the end of them. It's simply the place that God is asking us on their behalf 
to try to navigate. Now, that's the mission of the church, but for you personally, there's stuff going on in your heart. There are things that have happened, and you begin to ask yourself, is God really even good? Is his word really true? Here's this stuff that has happened, and it hurts. Here's my circumstance, and I don't see it getting better. Here's what people have done to me. I feel like God doesn't even see me. All of these things that happen, here's a prayer I've been praying and it hasn't happened. Here's this, and why hasn't God done this? And the devil is, wants you to be like losing momentum, and God wants you to see something really clearly and be reminded of something. The pattern of rejection the pattern of going down a road, the pattern needs to be broken. Holding a grudge is a pattern. You ever held something against someone? You try to let it go and then it come, you think about it? I can go from zero to 120 in my own heart towards anger towards someone like that. It's crazy how that works. It's not like, oh yeah, I remember. Boy, that was hard. Glad I learned a lesson. You think about it and you're like, oh, I could kick that person in the face, you know? Not that I would ever do that. But I have, I have won some serious fights in my brain. I'm like, if I saw that person, next thing you know, I'm like, you, I, they're out. And I'm all, yeah. I've done so many, fight, so many fights in my brain. Um, sorry, I'll just admit it to you. It's gotten less over the years because of some of the things that, that I want to share with you right here. The pattern of grudge, grudges, the pattern of hurt, all this, there's a pattern that needs to be broken. The pattern can't be broken in, in acts, things you do. The pattern is broken in prayer. The pattern is broken in prayer because there is something that happens in prayer that doesn't happen anywhere else in life. You're not focusing on something that was hurt. There is focus on a connection that is made. A connection with the Father. How do we partner with Jesus? We partner with Jesus in prayer. We partner with Jesus in prayer. Because prayer isn't something we do. Check this out. Prayer is not just something we do. It is a place that we go. Have you ever thought of prayer like that? It's not just something you do but it's a place that we go. Let me show you what I mean. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this event, the transfiguration. Do you guys remember that? It was a place where Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain. Luke tells us he took them up on a mountain to pray. That was the purpose of this trip up to the mountain. So they go up to the mountain and pray, and it says, after six days... Um, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. They were not going to snowboard. And he was transfigured before them. Here's what happened. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him, to them, Elijah and Moses. And they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, 
it is good that we are here. <laughs> Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was like, this is like heaven. Can we stay here forever? For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Jesus took him on a mountain to pray. Let me talk, let's, let's end with the three things that happen in prayer. The first thing, when we partner with Jesus in prayer, we see God for who he is. You can never let go. I have found I can't let go, just let go of a grudge. I need to replace the grudge with God. When I come to God in prayer, I've said this many times, God, please help me get past this. And I think the approach is, God, help me see you. That wasn't their question. It's just what God showed them. They saw God for who he is. It is in the place of prayer that we see and make sense of what uh, Jesus told in that parable where God is the rock and the chief cornerstone. Did you catch those couple little verses in uh, chapter 12? He says, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief, chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. We can miss the point, but when we come to God and there's a connection made, the first thing is this. Prayer is not about going and asking God for stuff. It's just about stepping in the presence, his presence and seeing who he is. So much can happen just by seeing God transfigured before your eyes. He didn't be like, okay, prayer request. Nothing wrong with prayer requests or a prayer list or things that you're thinking about, but what happened was, Jesus was transfigured before them, and they were like, yeah, whoa. Changed the way they lived, not just what they prayed for. David saw this. So tomorrow night when we gather here to pray, I'm going to give you guys the text that we're going to pray through. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray through God's word together. I'm going to give it to you now so you can read it, and then when you come together tomorrow, we're going to do this pattern because it will help us in our personal prayer life and walk with Jesus, which is what we want. So we're going to pray through Psalm 19. I want you to write that down and look at it. Think about it. Because this is what we do in our, our pattern of prayer. We go upward, we read through a text, and we say, Where, who is God in this text? And then we pray that out loud to God. God, you are powerful. If we're looking at the transfiguration. You see all things. You know all people's names. He had most. So we're going to look through Psalm 19, which is a beautiful psalm. David wrote it. At the end of it, he says this. Well, we see God for who he is. David saw this in Psalm 19. And at the end, this is what he said. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And this is what he says. Oh, Lord, my rock, my redeemer, the cornerstone. He saw through prayer who Jesus is. The Pharisees and the scribes missed through grudges who Jesus is. Prayer is the partnership. 
in prayer we see God for who he is. The second thing we see is we see ourselves as we are. I think this really scares people. I think this scares people because we think this to ourselves. What does God think about me? If you had to answer that question, what would you say? If you grimaced and frowned, you have a wrong picture in your mind of what God thinks about you. If you think that, what does God think about you? And you go, like, not very good. No, that's what you think about you. That's not what God thinks about you. But it is in prayer that we see ourselves through God's eyes, a forgiven people. It is in this place that we are reminded that God, although he had every right to, does not hold grudges to anyone. As a matter of fact, Jesus did what he did to let all grudges go, even toward the people that said crucify him, that hurled insults at him, the dudes that drove the actual nails through his hands, that ripped his uh, cloak off of him and made fun of him and spit at him and hurled the most vile, gnarliest comments to him and his mother and their friends. You know what Jesus said when he hung on the cross, Father? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That wasn't like a nice little thing to say. Like he really believed that. It was on behalf of not just the people who looked beautiful, but of all people that they could see themselves as God sees them. It is in this place of prayer that before we even think about the people that have hurt us, we remember how much God loves us as individuals. We go inward. We'll do that tomorrow night. It's an amazing place to look at God's word and you say stuff like, God, you could have held a grudge against me for my sin because I didn't do anything to pay it off. Neither did you. We were like, God, what do I need to do? And this is what he said. Entrust your life into my hands and believe that I'll do a better job running it than you can. That's it. Are you good with that? Are you sure, Lord? I've really made a mess of things. That's okay. I'm pretty good at fixing things, he might say. But, Lord, this is all I have to give. And then the Bible tells us, now, for God doesn't make okay works of art. He only deals in masterpieces. And when he looks at you, he doesn't go, ah. He's full Bob Ross. Look at this pretty little tree. You're like, man, that's a messed up tree. And then Bob, like, does a couple of things. You're like, that's beautiful. How do you do that? God can take, he doesn't make bad people good. He takes death and breathes life into it it's important that you see yourself the way God sees you because if you don't see yourself the way God sees you we can never see someone else the way God sees them and the grudge continues because if we can't see the value on our own lives that God has placed we can never see the value no matter what they've done the value of someone else and so the polarization gets bigger and the, and the chasm gets wider. It is in that place that we are reminded about what Jesus did more than we're reminded of what other people have done. It is in this place where not an, a religious act is done, but a transformation of heart 
can begin to take place. And lastly, we start to see others as Jesus sees them. So how do you let grudges go? What's the pathway to forgiveness? Receiving forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive people. When you realize that the Bible says we love, why? Because we've received love from God. We are able to forgive, not as a religious act, I forgive you until I think about it in 20 minutes. <laughs> what sometimes happens, and then you forgive again, but we start to learn to forgive people. Why? Because our heart is transformed because of what God is doing. And we're more and more realizing the forgiveness in ourselves. What God has done. Thank you. You've brought me so far. Yes, this person did this thing or here's what's going on, and this is really hard, and I'm not going to go hang out and be friends with them, but I'm not going to let the unforgiveness turn into bitterness, turn into hard-heartedness, turn into drawing me away from God, turning into unbelief. It's a pattern that happens in our own lives. When you hold a grudge, it hurts you more than the person you wish that grudge would hurt. You wish you're like, oh, I can't stand you, but you're the one that's dealing with it and hurting and that's not a good place to be. But the place where, where transformation is found is in partnership, connection with God. There's no more intimate connection than prayer. Let me end with this. I was just thinking how hard it is if you've been really hurt or, if we're honest, if you've been the person that's caused really bad hurt to others. Regardless of either one of those, one of the greatest mountains you'll ever face is overcoming a hard heart towards someone. When I was thinking about overcoming mountains, I couldn't help but think about our remnant series that we went through not long ago when God spoke to Zerubbabel. And this is what he told him. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. He's saying, I'm doing something in you that you could never do on your own. And he says, if you continue to let me do what I'm doing, you're going to look at that mountain. You remember the temple was torn down and Zerubbabel saw this mountain. He's like, what am I going to do with this? Where do I even begin to overcome this thing in my life? And that's when... God says, oh, no, it's not by might nor by power, by my spirit. And what I'm doing in you, you're going to look at that mountain and you're going to speak grace to it and it's going to become a plain. And then he says to Zerubbabel, not only that, you who began this will see it to completion. Do not despise the days of small things. Mountains are thing, oh, unsurmountable, unsurmountable? I think that's right. You something you can't overcome or beat or win. Yeah, that's what I said. Pretty smart. But God says, don't worry about overcoming the mountain. Worry about what's happening in here. I love that. Because we always see in our lives how far we have to go. But God says, don't worry about where you're at, where, how far you have to go. Think about where you're at right now.
So as we end, I'm going to say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to offer up a prayer that I, that if this is for you and you're like, yes, me too. I just want you to hold up a hand as like, yeah, that's me too. Or just in, inside, just be like, yes, Lord, I want to, I want to put my heart and put my life in there. We're going to give a chance to just say, Lord, do this work in my life. I don't want to miss. I want to partner with you. One of my favorite Bible people is Peter. Um, I think just because I relate with him. Because he just loved life, I think. And he was sort of uh, like not polished. But years later, after this, because he was there. And Mark was written as Peter's eyewitness account. His cousin Mark wrote it. There's probably, there's like, and then this, and then this. That's why people think it was Peter, because he's like, and then we were there, and then we were there, and then we did this. People are like, calm down, Peter. You can't keep up. But later in his life, Peter had an encounter with someone. You can read about it in Acts chapter 10. But he had contact with a Roman soldier. You know, the Rome, same Roman soldiers that had Jesus drug and and put on the cross. And you know what Peter was doing? It says he was praying. Because he saw after this in his life that there was something that needed to happen, a connection that needed to be made that he couldn't do by being Christian Peter. He needed from God himself. So he spent a lot of time in prayer. And it says one time as he was praying, it says he was hungry. Which, you know, you never, you know how hungry you are when you start praying. You're like, dear Lord, Man, I'm hungry. Dear Lord, man, I'm tired. The, the, the distractions that come in, but it says as he was praying, he had a vision. And in this vision, I'm paraphrasing, all this meat comes down on a, on a blanket, like a magic carpet ride for barbecue. And he was like, this is awesome. Except for, I can't eat that stuff. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, no way, nothing, none of that stuff's ever touched my lips. And God says, don't you call unclean what I've called clean? And he's trying to figure out, like, what this means. Lo and behold, on the other side of town, this Roman guy was praying. And then as he was praying, God said to him, hey, I want you to send two of your sermon, servants and go find this dude, Peter. Bring him here. That's all he says. Peter shows up, and on the way, God tells him kind of like what his, this vision meant. And he starts talking to this guy, Cornelius. And when Peter entered Cornelius, the Roman guy's house, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter was like, what do you do? No, no, stand up. And this is what Peter says to this guy who he had every right and used to hold real big grudges against these people. This is what Peter says. Peter lifted it up, and he said, stand up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Because he was like, Lord, what are you doing? And then he said to them, you, you yourselves know how unlawful and even unlikely it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. This is, this is bizarre what God is doing. But then he said, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. All that work that happened that day 
and the church grew. It was amazing. But it all was birthed in the transformation of prayer. Do you guys think that my expectations are high for our prayer nights? Yeah, they're through the roof. Because what we can never do, God has plans to do. And I believe that the time has never been more crucial to not miss the point of what God is doing, but to get on board with what he wants to do. And the way to do that is getting more of who God wants in our hearts, in our minds, in our own lives. So I'm excited. We want to partner with Jesus in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Speaking of partnerships, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, Jesus, thank you for all of your teachings. They're beautiful. And it's crazy how they string together and form these, these amazing, um, simple messages for us to think about. Grudges are going to take us down a place that we don't want to be. And Lord, we want to acknowledge, before we acknowledge grudges or things that we have against people, things that are done to us, Lord, we worship you because we think about all the things that were done to you. About how the Bible says you came to your own people and they rejected you. I think about my own life and in the past where maybe people showed me kindness in your name or and I just wrote them off or I had harsh things to say about them because of their association with you. I had the worst things to say about Christians until I found out what it actually is to be a Christian. And so, Lord, we sing this song that, that we respond in worship because maybe if we worship you, things will change in our own hearts that we don't have to worry about uh, or focus on things that we've done to others or have been done to us, but we could focus on what you have done and who you are. And that maybe starting in that place, if we as your church could worship you in spirit and in truth and partner with you in your mission, maybe there could be some transformation that happens at the heart level in our church, in our families, in our city, and in our world. We believe that, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, come, refresh us, and renew us. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.